it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 152. Tonight, we have a special guest with us. We have Andy Schuler with us tonight. Andy is a regular contributor to Andrew's blog, E-Investing for Beginners. Uh, Andy has a lot of great articles on there, some really fantastic ones. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of those tonight. So, Andrew, uh, would you like to say hi to everybody? Andrew or Andy? I mean, I guess we could go by both, right? <laughs> yeah, we could go by both. <laughs> well, welcome on, Andy. Um, I did want to ask, um, you've had some great posts lately, something that um, really clicks with my passions. Um, and it kind of relates not just to personal finances or investing, but to a lot of different endeavors. And that's this idea of the importance of tracking. So talk about that for a little bit and um, tell us your thoughts and why you're so adamant about tracking things. Yeah. So tracking is, I think, honestly, it's the best way you're probably ever going to get results just in anything. Um, I'm a very firm believer in smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, uh, attainable, realistic, and uh, time sensitive. Like, and I feel like the the tracking portion of actually being able to fact check how you're doing and see your progress is the best way for you to ever make any sort of um, improvements in what you're doing. So, I mean, my I'll say my my introduction came to it actually when I was a kid. My dad got me in Excel at a very very young age, tracking baseball stats, or I tracked strikeouts and singles, RBIs, you know, just any any stats that I could, and just try to figure out. You know, it was more or less just for me, just to see how I was doing. I could see how I did from one game to the next, or the beginning of the season to the end of the season, and I just liked identifying trends and. I think it really, really picked up for me when, um, when I was in college, where I've ballooned to a, a pretty, pretty high weight in college. So I know a lot of people talk about the freshman fifteen. I think I had like the freshman fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was quite that high, but I mean it was it was pretty obnoxious. So it's like if if you're ever if you're ever looking for how to lose weight. I guarantee I can find you information that says one thing is good and doing that same exact thing is also bad. So I felt like the only way for me to ever truly find out what would work would be to track. So, I mean, I would track my food in Excel. I would, I would weigh out my food. So I know I was getting exactly, you know, six ounces of chicken or I was getting, you know, if I was going to put ranch on something, I was getting the exact amount of, you know, one serving of ranch. 
but I just felt like tracking all that in Excel and then I could see what worked and what didn't work. You know, maybe I was eating too many carbs or not enough or too many calories or not enough or, um, but just doing that and tracking weight literally led me from dropping like 60 pounds in three or four months. Wow. And then I, I think at that point it really clicked on me. It's like, Hey, you know, maybe there's more to this tracking thing because in those four months I was able to figure out what worked and what didn't work better than any article over the internet could have told me or any insanity or P90X could have, or any trainer that I saw twice a week. It's, it's the best way to actually be able to see what's going on in your own life. And I think that same exact thing applies to your finances as well. I also have a um, personal experience of being very diligent about tracking food. And it was very successful for me too. I lost like 25% of my body weight uh, because I also ballooned. <laughs> um, so I, 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 yeah, it definitely works. And I, I think there's so many other people who have examples of that I've, I've met and, and seen and read about. So when it comes to personal finances, what, what does that look like? And um, I guess, you know, you can think about and, and look at a lot of numbers, track a lot of numbers. What have you found certain things help, uh, either with mindset or getting results uh, when it comes to tracking finances? I think for me, it was, you know, I, I almost like use the, when you're first starting out, I like the the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S, or it's just keep it simple, stupid. Or it's like, it can be applied to so many things, but I would just get so in the weeds. And I talked about this the last time I was on the podcast where I would make things so incredibly complex that it was hard for me to ever even, you know, maybe if I, if I'm talking about the budget, it was hard for me to even see where my money was going. I was tracking so many different things and breaking it into so many different categories. And I was never able to find that sweet spot to actually get it to a point where I was going to update my budget frequently and I was going to be able to track where my spending was going. And then um, I finally got to that point where it's like when you're physically going in to your budget and you're tracking every single expense just by just by coding it by saying hey it's food or groceries or gas or something that's when I was able to see where exactly all my spending was going and that that was like step 1 i mean it's literally a profit and loss statement it's your own personal profit and loss at the end of the month did i make more or did i spend more hopefully you made more if you didn't then that's like where it would all come back to. But the thing is, if you're not tracking it, you might never even know. Because now now that we live in this world where you have credit cards, I mean, maybe your debt is just going from $200 and then you overspend the next month. Now it's 700 bucks. Overspend by 1,000 the next month. Now it's 1,700. And you just never know. Because if you're not looking, then it's just not, it's just not knowledge out there for you. So I think that was the number one thing that really got me kickstarted on my journey was like your own personal profit and loss statement and tracking that. And then, I mean, it just, it just further snowballs into all the different things that I would track with, with my investments and, and whatnot. Uh, there's no excuse for it these days, right? Cause we're all just sitting at home anyway. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to, you don't even have to type in a password on your phone anymore. I mean, you have fingerprint ID. <laughs> you could accidentally log into your credit card and see how much you owe. I mean, it's, it's so easy. I mean, it's not looking at it as just, it's, it's all mindset. I mean, and if you don't have that mindset, then I think you're just setting yourself up for failure. That's so funny. I, it made me think of that one commercial with the guys like, reclining in a chair and then he reclines just barely enough so that the phone can get his iris recognition and then he like <laughs> reclines back down that's what i'm picturing everybody right now and now you're becoming the most hated man on the podcast because you're calling this out for us being so lazy so for me personally i mean i'm i'm super big on tracking obviously too uh big on spreadsheets and stuff uh for me what really helped there, there were, I guess, a lot of things. Obviously, you want to establish the habit first and foremost, and at least try, right? Even if it's not 
your personality. It's it's good to at least make the effort and try to immerse yourself in any way. And, and maybe, you know, it just means doing one day, one time, and then maybe another day when you get bored, you, you try to add on to that. And then, you know, over time, then then you finally get things under control. For me, I was tracking things and I would get to the end of the month and I'd be like, crap, like I ran out of money, you know, like I had all these things that popped up and I didn't account for it. And so over time, and I, you know, I wish I had your um, doctor budget tool back in the day when I, when I first built my own uh, budgeting spreadsheet, it was just like over time I, I would get these expenses that I didn't think of. And then I would have to re-add them to the spreadsheet. And then eventually I got to a point where I was breaking it down by calendar day. So, you know, it's like, oh, I know rent comes out on the first. I know internet comes out on the 10th. And then so I had eventually built this calendar. And so you just actually today released your own um, calendar section on the Dr. Budget spreadsheet. And you made that available to everybody who's purchased already. Um, so explain that. And obviously, how you know how it's beneficial for for people who are maybe struggling with the whole getting results part yeah i mean so when you think of the word tracking it's all things that have already happened i mean it, you're post auditing you're you're following results that have already occurred versus the budget schedule is almost like the planning phase of the budget which i think is equally as important. I mean, it's, it's really like two sides to a dumbbell. I mean, if you don't have either side, it's just going to, I mean, you're just going to drop it. It's not going to be weighted. It's the, the budget schedule is something that I found for me was probably the first thing that made me super motivated. And I stayed motivated throughout the entire month. So first I'll just, I'll start with like just your general budget. If you think probably a lot of people are going to maybe post out it themselves or track their expenses maybe once a month at the end of the month. And if their budget was 3000 bucks, they're going to go, Oh crap. I spent 3,500. What am I, you know, dang, I guess I'll try to fix it next month. Well, by the time they've tracked it, it might already be a weekend of the month and they probably haven't changed anything in the month. I mean, it, all their expenses are probably, you know, they're, they're already a weekend and they don't have a new plan yet. So the reason I like the budget schedule is I I truly break it up. Um, I have I have every fixed expense listed, so everything that comes out of my budget or out of my bank account automatically. So it's like my mortgage, my cell phone, car payments, car insurance, automatic contributions that I might have to my investing. Um, Five twenty nine for our son. Just make sure that's all going in automatically. That's all listed because. That's something that I need to plan for to make sure I have enough in my account. And then I also have my income listed in there and my wife and I get paid on the same day. So and we get paid bi-weekly. So it's like 14 day periods. It's kind of how I break it up. Or, you know, if you get paid weekly, you could break it up into a week. And so I might show, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm getting paid X amount, say it's a thousand dollars and I have $400 in expenses. I try to keep in the back of my mind, let's make sure I have that $400 covered. Let's try to keep some sort of buffer in there. Say it's another 300 bucks. And then that might tell myself, Hey, I have a, I have a surplus of $300. What do I do with that? You can keep it there for a margin of safety. You can go invest that extra money. You can go blow it on something. If there's something you wanted, hopefully, you know, that's like the last thing I would recommend you doing, but I mean, the fact of the matter is that I've noticed that breaking it up into even smaller chunks than month-long chunks keeps me motivated. And every single day I wake up and I look at my account and I go, okay, what came out this week or what came out today? Was it my cell phone? I'll cross that off the list and go, okay, now I have $500 to get me through to my next paycheck. And I know everything under $500 that isn't spent, I can then take that money and invest. So it keeps me motivated on a daily basis rather than a monthly basis. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. 
Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with our finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, You'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention, and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? Weird foreign feeling of despair. Or how it feels to crash a skydive? I remember hearing a thud, feeling my body hit the ground. Or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator? At the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a victim of an attack. Dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you, now you're going to die. You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? How could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Plinky County 911, there's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in. What Was That Like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. I mean, I know both in my personal life, you know, it seems like all my bills want to come out at the beginning of the month. And then as a business owner, it's it's the exact same thing too. And so I know like, you know, if if you're looking at, as an example, two-week increments, I know that what's left on after that second two-week, you know, that back half of the month, Mm -hmm. whatever's in there, that's not really all mine, you know? And so you have to understand that um if you have it all laid out you can know that all right well you know the next two week period i'm gonna have this much versus that much so maybe having that buffer helps you 
cover some expenses that are on the, on the front half of the month. Um, and, and just, you know, understanding that puts you far, you know, way far beyond just kind of looking at how, or I guess not even looking, right? I mean, we're talking about that too. It's like, well, it, it's swiped. We're good. Moving on. Um, that's not a good way to make progress. So, we, you know, we were talking to and um, something, uh, uh, opinion you have that's a bit controversial. Um, and when now we're talking about tracking your investments themselves, you have a philosophy about tracking your investment every day and, and I haven't really heard anybody say that so talk about that for a minute and why you think it could be beneficial for investors <laughs> yeah even so even when I was writing this I felt like I was like people are probably going to think I'm like Skip Bayless of the investing world <laughs> just, <laughs> just trying to troll and provoke and get clicks and like I, I thought about it multiple times. I'm like, am I actually going to say this? Because 100% of the people that read this will disagree, but it's, it's legitimately how I felt and it's not how I felt initially, but the point in time where I've changed my opinion has been within the last couple of months with the coronavirus. And I guess I'll just, I'll just paint the picture. So ever since I've ever invested, I've always been told, don't look at your portfolio daily, not even weekly. I mean, monthly, if you can, if if not even less often than that. And at the same time, ever since I've invested, I've looked at it multiple times a day. So I've never listened to that advice. And I think part of it is just one of the things that's really motivating to an investor is seeing performance. I mean, seeing like I'm talking about this whole time with tracking, like you like to see your results. That's great when, you know, you're in the middle of a 10 year bull market, but when things start looking bad, you're going to make impulse decisions and you're going to sell probably sell at the low point. You're probably going to buy back in at the high point And I mean, basically commit one of the cardinal sins as an investor, I think, and you're going to buy high and sell low. The point in time where I really changed my opinion, like I said, is is through this coronavirus. It's, I mean, we all saw days where the market is dropping like eight, ten percent in a day. I mean, it's it's devastating. It's you're just seeing your portfolio absolutely get crushed, and you're knowing that for some of your investments, yeah, things probably are materially changing. If you've invested in cruise lines or airlines, you know, things are probably are materially changing. Um, but if you're investing in a company that's really just kind of getting hit by, you know, like guilty by association, things aren't really changing. I mean, it's really just that company is just being devalued um, at that point in time. And maybe it's just an opportunity, you know, a clearance sale, an opportunity for you to buy in. So I felt like by me looking at my portfolio daily, I felt like it was able to keep me a rational investor. Like I was used to seeing these huge declines. And I also had the mindset of, I trusted the positions that I was in and nothing, you know, I would always pay attention and say, you know, have things materially changed? If something is material changed, you know, throw this out the window, you can sell. But if things haven't materially changed, your stock is really just being discounted and you have a chance to to buy in cheaper. So you can either sell and panic and have the market go up or or you can, you know, take advantage and, you know, try to buy a little bit lower and sell or lower your, you know, your average position in the, in the stock. And I know if, if someone tries to implement the strategy, I guarantee that they're going to probably panic and sell when they shouldn't. But I feel like, I almost feel like that's inevitable. I mean, I talked with people at work that, never check their 401ks. And I, I know that because I've asked them, how often do you even look at your 401k? But when the coronavirus stuff was going on, everyone knew what was going on in the market. And I think that's the worst time <laughs> to get these overwhelming feelings of regret or, you know, what do I do now? Like, I felt like by me looking at my performance daily, my entire investing career, I was a little bit more sens- desensitized to the the ups and downs and was able to stay rational. Yeah, that's a very interesting 
take on it. Um, it's it's almost like you're like that metaphor with the boiling crab, or not the boiling crab, the boiling frog, where you you, you slowly turn up the temperature and then the frog never jumps out because he doesn't realize how it's getting warmer and warmer and warmer. So for you, it's like, instead of having to jump into this icy cold thing, you've, like you said, desensitized yourself and gotten used to volatility. And so I think that's, you look at the VIX, you look at how stocks have moved in the past three, four or five weeks. Um, volatility has been very, very high. And it's what what I hear coming out of what you're saying is it's not even that you're looking at the portfolio. Who was it who said, um, I think it was Warren Buffett said, the market is not there to instruct you. The market is there to serve you. And so for you, you're looking at the results, right? You're looking at where your portfolio is moving, but you're not letting that instruct the way that you're going to react. Instead, the way I interpret what you're saying is you're actively evaluating your positions and thinking about what's really important. And it's not what you see on the screen, but it's you know what's going on with the business itself. And this is something I've, I've been t- harping about. It's like with the coronavirus, with this huge fundamental change that we've seen, all of this uncertainty, this is the time to really get to know the businesses that you own know why you own them and, and try to figure out if they still look good long-term or not. And, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about and exactly what you're doing. And by looking at what's going on, it's kind of forcing you to put your mind there. And, and I think that can be a big benefit. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, you're spot on. So I do all my investing with Fidelity. When I'm looking at my portfolio performance, I am never opening Fidelity. I'm always opening Yahoo Finance. And I've I have a personal rule where it's just I I don't buy or sell stocks. I make no transactions on my phone. And I just feel like just having that rule just makes it it takes that instantaneous knee-jerk reaction and maybe adds in a little bit more of a step that I have to get on my computer and I can't log in on accident with my fingerprint. Like I just talked about with Chase, I actually have to type in my password, my username and do a couple clicks. It just, it, it helps keep me a little bit more level-headed and removes that impulse decision-making in a way where I'm not looking at my portfolio daily, multiple times a day with the intent to do anything. It's more just awareness and trying to understand what is actually going on. I mean, why is the market changing so much day to day? And just me trying to become a more knowledgeable investor. And I I can tell you that definitely was not how I was when I first started investing. Like every time I did open my app, you know, when I first started, I told you guys before the podcast, I, I was a Robinhood user. And I would <laughs> we forgave Robin you. Man, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like day trader, you know, I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get rich so fast. And I quickly realized that I was just an absolute moron. But the thing is, I learned that lesson early on where theoretically you're probably going to have, hopefully, the least amount of money in the market as you will at any other point in your life. So yeah, those lessons really sucked. But I learned from them and I probably learned at the best time considering it was when I had the least amount of money invested. So the the mistakes were a lot less painful. So we always love to talk. At least I talk a lot about my mistakes on this podcast. Um, so do I. They, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, I do my best to not put words in your mouth. So, you know, so let's hear about some of your mistakes. Um, just from coronavirus standpoint, I think it's good to hear We've we've had what we're recording this May fourteenth, so we've had a little bit of time. Obviously, I think we're we're seeing a huge shift in everything, and and who knows how long we'll continue to be locked down. Who knows, you know, how long the market will kind of behave like it's been behaving. But um, talk about some of your mistakes. Talk about some of your successes, and what are the things you've learned 
post coronavirus when it comes to stocks and you know how that relates to tracking things every day and everything like that. Yep. I mean, I think one of the the biggest lessons I've learned is just because a stock is discounted doesn't mean it's cheap. And actually, it can mean the exact opposite. I mean, as you see, earnings are dropping. I mean, just because the price is dropping, your earnings might be dropping a lot faster than what the stock price is actually dropping. So I remember seeing a tweet when I first, when all the coronavirus stuff was first happening, and it was, it was like today's value investors are buying Zoom and Buffett is buying the airlines. And I was like, my thought was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to buy both and just see what happens. So like I bought a Jets ETF and obviously with all the, the news about, Buffett, I was like, man, it's it's clear I'm still, you know, still learning and still adapting my strategy. But that that was the hardest thing that I learned is there's a difference between price and a difference between value, and you you need to make sure you're constantly staying on top of it and evaluating how the business is changing. So, you know, it's funny. I actually texted one of my friends today, and I said, "Do you ever just look at a certain stock every day and hate yourself for buying it?" <laughs> and, and he he responded. He said, "Yeah, when I bought into Canopy Growth, and I was like, yeah, I don't know why I bought this Jets ETF." <laughs> and I mean, we you know we just kind of laugh about it, and we're like, you know what, probably a mistake, but it's something you learn about, and you move on, and you try to make make a better decision going forward. You know, I don't normally ever really invest in ETFs at all, so it's probably just something I got caught up in the moment and and whatnot. But then, it, then again, at the same time, I mean, it's, I think we found a lot of, you can find a lot of businesses that, that are on sale where you might not, you know, they might not be necessarily directly impacted or they might be getting hit with some of these tailwinds or, you know, I, I know we've talked about Disney before, but I mean, Disney was pounded pretty hard. And I think a lot of that was short term where how, how do you anticipate the, the coronavirus trends going? Is this going to be, you know, multi years? What's what's your investing time frame? If you're if you got another thirty years, I mean, are, are you really concerned about the parks being closed? I don't think I am. I think it's really just having that that sort of mindset. What about Dave? Let's flip it on Dave. What, what's what's he got going on with his portfolio lately? Um. Well, my portfolio has been hammered pretty hard because I'm in. A fair amount of banks and financials because that's one of my areas of passion and uh, they have not recovered as much as everything else has. Uh, it has been a little bit brutal to be honest with you. Uh, I've had a few companies that have done okay, but I've had a few that have really taken a really, really good whacking. And I don't know that uh, to kind of speak to a little bit about what Andy was referring to, the price has changed a lot and I don't know necessarily that the, the fundamentals of the bank have, have altered that much yet. And I saw somebody on Twitter talking about this a couple of days ago and I, I thought it was kind of appropriate. He said he felt like that people were still hammering banks for what happened in the last financial crisis, even though this one they're not responsible for. And it, it kind of feels like when I look at my portfolio and then I compare it to the S&P 500 and I don't know exact numbers how far off we are from the highs, but it's getting back to the point where it's sort of almost even now where it went down and I'm still down 15, 20% for the year because of the companies that I own are still not recovering back with them, partly because I think for banks in particular, there's still a lot of unknowns about what's going to happen with defaults on mortgages, defaults on credit cards, defaults on car loans, and all those kinds of things. And that's where a lot of the money that's tied up in banks is tied up. And th- those are unknowns. And so I think people are, are afraid that those are going to get hammered. There's also been the the earnings for banks have been really, really low because they're taking all their money that they're making and setting it aside, anticipating loans, you know, being affected quite a lot. So, you know, who really, who really knows? Uh, there have been, uh, you know, there was one company that I did buy that uh, a couple months ago that I thought would kind of withstand this pretty well, but it has not done well at all. And 
it's down 60% since I bought it. And, you know, I'm hesitating on whether I want to just cut bait with it or if I want to just stick with it or even dollar cost average with it some more. I'm still kind of hem-hawing about that one in particular. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all the same things that Andy was talking about. I, I try not to look at my portfolio every day and I actually, uh, I have, everything that I own on a, uh, a stock screen with uh, Seeking Alpha. And I use that to check it. So like Andy, I think is a brilliant idea that he had not to look at his stocks on his brokerage because then he creates speed bumps for himself to make an impulse decision. And I, I try to do the same thing. I'm not always successful with that, but I do try to always look at it on seeking alpha so that I have to go an extra step before I pull a trigger on anything. I I don't know. So, you know, you mentioned this idea of, you know, you bought some bank stocks and then this whole thing happened. And so obviously they're going to have a couple years of lower profitability because they're going to have to deal with losses from loans and, you know, having to not be able to grow their earnings because they're not able to loan out a lot of money because they're putting in reserves. And I, I don't, I, I don't know why this popped in my head today, but have you ever heard the saying where they say, and I, this is very prevalent among value investors too. I think especially value investors where they say, if the stock, if you're not willing to buy the stock at this price, then you shouldn't be willing to hold it. Mm-hmm. Heard that? Yeah, I, well, think, yeah. I, I think that's so dumb because you you could have a stock in a situation where you could own the stock for like three, four, five years. You could be getting like a 10% yield on costs on this. So you tell me, where else are you going to take your investment, find a 10% dividend You know that has the chance to continue to become more valuable over time? Where are you going to find that? And so I think when the thought process turns into... So I'm not meaning to pick on you, Dave, but I'm just saying, like, as an example, we're we're looking at a situation where you bought a stock, okay? And then I think it's very—I think we can all agree that with all the developments that have happened in the short term, that business is not as valuable as it was when you bought it. You know, they're going to have lower earnings for several years, and so for the stock to drop 15%, you know, like Andy said. It doesn't mean it's cheap. Just because it's cheap doesn't mean... What did you say? Just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a good value. So, yeah, yeah. you know, basically the stock price has followed the fact that the business is now less valuable over the short term. But at the same time, where you bought into it, uh, you secured a certain yield there. You you secured the idea that there's going to be dips and and temporary uh setbacks in the business right so right you've kind of factored that in so you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily sell because you kind of were looking at the long term anyway but at the same time you might not necessarily buy more because if the if the stock market did not bid the stock lower than what the actual worth is f- with the information we have right now then you know maybe it's not a good buy anymore. So I, I think uh, those are other thoughts that we can have where if you're looking at the super, super long term and if things have fundamentally changed, like to pick on airlines and cruise ships, uh, you know, that's kind of up for debate. People, for whatever reason, get really heated when you talk about those two things. But um you know, at least the way I perceive it and the fact that, you know, they're not paying dividends, that that changes things a lot. But, you know, you could have another company like a bank where maybe it's just more of a short-term thing, but, you know, the way that consumers are going to be banking is not going to change in five years. And so it's a different, it's a different kind of um, thought process and it's a different maybe way to think about, well, just because you don't want to buy more here doesn't mean you necessarily want to sell. I think taking those decisions independently, especially at a time like this, is very important because it's 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 difficult when you have a portfolio that you're watching go through this. And 
like the impulse, trust me, I, I know this impulse where you, you just won't really want to tweak. And so for me personally, having to recommend the e-leather and have one issue come out every month, I'm able to have these ideas where I'm like, yep, I'm going to sell that stock. And then like two or three days later, I'm like, you know, I get, I get clarity on it and you think it over more and then you realize, oh, okay, that wouldn't have maybe been the best decision. Um, so for me that, you know, I, I'm checking a lot more frequently now because of everything that's going on, but I'm on like a tape delay of like once a month making these major decisions. So that how, that's my way of kind of navigating through this by kind of trying to change the mindset, challenge some ideas that have kind of been commonly accepted and then really have these actions that are spread out and you put these speed bumps in front of you so that you don't make dumb decisions. No, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I, I, I agree with you and I, I try really hard to think about some of the positions that I have and have things fundamentally changed with the company and how the company is going to perform six months, a year, five years from now. I, I don't think in the the majority of them, I could be wrong, but I don't think that that's going to change. And so that helps me feel better about the position I'm in uh, with some of them. You know, a couple of them are, are retail companies that I try to kind of step out of my comfort zone and try to learn more about them. And so those have struggled mightily, but one of them in particular, I think will rebound. It just may take a while just because of the nature of the brands that they represent, but it just may take a while for them to rebound. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how all that happens. But uh, I'm curious how Andy thinks about any of those kinds of things we were just talking about. I, I agree. I mean, I think you guys are both spot on. I think it's all just about understanding what your time horizon is and your mindset. I mean, for instance, you know, I think probably the best example I can think of is right now with oil companies. They're kind of getting, you know, pounded from both sides with demand is down drastically because people just aren't going anywhere. And then also the price of of crude oil is, you know, the what the June futures went to negative $37 for that last closing day. So, I mean, it's Obviously, it's you know that was a one day thing, but I mean, just crude oil pricing is a lot, a lot lower than what it has been historically. It's, but so then, then to me, I mean, if I was ever looking at a company like that, I would ask myself, okay, are these things that are here to stay forever? And the simple answer, in, in my eyes, is no. I do not think that our our driving season is going to be you know demand is going to be cut as much as it has. I think people. You know, coronavirus stuff will subside eventually, you know, knock on wood and people will start to resume their normal driving patterns and shipping will, will go back to normal. And, you know, if you look at the price of crude oil, it's, it's pretty cyclical. So do I think eventually that, that, you know, it will continue to be cyclical or do I think it's going to stay down in the, the ranges that it is now? And then also just looking at some more, you know, big picture things is okay. Are, you know, is, is the EV coming you know, right down the road, or is that going to be, you know, a longer term solution to, you know, some of our, you know, saving the environment? I mean, are we going to have a lot more time that I could actually invest in a company now that's being priced at a pretty big discount because everyone's pricing it at the value of the company today? But I don't care what the value of the company today is. I'm going to be looking at the value of the company 10, 15, 20, 30 years out. So I think it's all just about looking for, clearance buys now and in that sort of sense which is exactly what you guys hit on as well with the banks yeah one thing that one thing that uh sorry one thing i wanted to kind of follow up with what andy was talking about Uh, because of the what's happened with the coronavirus and the effect that it's had on a lot of companies i've spent a lot more time analyzing how companies reacted to the crisis back in 07 through 09 and trying to kind of project forward again, how the companies will react to that. So you can kind of get an, an idea of how companies reacted and it kind of can give you a, for me anyway, it gives me a comfort level of knowing that, Hey, you know, this company here survived this downturn, which would have been far worse 
in the long run for that particular company than something that's happening now. And it helps me kind of clarify my thoughts a lot. I've done the exact same thing too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> okay. No, I'm serious. Like uh, some businesses are just more cyclical than others. And, um, you know, there are a, a business could be cyclical and could be kind of in a commodity swing, but the way they structure their business could still be decently profitable, even during a, a time where it's not as nice for them. It's definitely worth checking out. So let's say we're investors. We want more money to invest and we just, you know, we're not not sure where all our money is going. Tell us, Andy, about your doctor budget tool. Tell us uh, where to find it and why it could be helpful for finding more money to invest um, into the stock market. Hopefully not through your Robinhood app. <laughs> no, I will not send you guys a link where if you sign up now, we both get one free stock of board. But no, you, you can find the doctor budget. Uh, it's at thedoctorbudget.com. Um, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but it's really just all about finding that, that personal cash flow and, and tracking. And when you are able to actually track your expenses and your income, I'm telling there's seriously no better feeling than ending a month with a hundred extra bucks and then being able to put that money into maybe your Roth IRA or a 529 for, you know, if you're trying to pay for your kid's education or anything like that. And then just pulling up some sort of compound interest calculator and just seeing how much that can truly like change your life. I mean, for just, just for the heck of it, I'm, I'm going to do it kind of while I'm talking, but it's like a hundred dollars a month. It, it really doesn't seem like much. I mean, especially if your expenses are $3,000, I mean, that's, a few Starbucks that's maybe eating out, you know, a couple less times. It's really not, not some sort of major life changing decision that's going to be able to set you up and get you that much closer to, um, to your retirement goal. There so is, said, there is something that's better than um, finding a hundred extra bucks in your account at the end of the month. Hundred to one. <laughs> you took my joke. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, so a hundred bucks a month for thirty years at you know an eight percent pretty conservative return, one hundred forty seven thousand dollars in thirty years. And I know people get people get triggered and upset about those types of things by going, oh, if you only eat rice and beans, you know you can retire in X amount of years because it is about quality of life too. But I think um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ramit Sethi. Oh yeah, uh, he basically says you know spend extravagantly on the things that are important to you and cut everything that's not. And I think that's the mindset that you need to have when, when you're using the tool. And that's why I love the doctor budget. You can customize it however you want. If you want your, your $4 Starbucks every day, that's fine. Put in $120 a month for Starbucks. You know, you're going to spend it. It is what it is. Cut that money out of wherever else it is. Maybe you don't need a car. Maybe you don't need a gym membership. You're instead, you're just going to run outside for, you know, June through August. So you have that full customization to be able to build your own investing in, in personal finance plan, however you want. I mean, it's that's why it's called personal finance after all. It's really up to you to to decipher how you're going to get to your goal and decipher what your goals actually are. I guess I'll, I'll add one last thing. Um, I never saw results. I mean, you know, obviously you, you do what you can and everything, but really tracking and, and having a spreadsheet that's when i actually did it right so i highly highly recommend it and i think the doctor budget is a fantastic tool to get you there i agree i've been using it since andy released it and it's been fantastic i really have enjoyed it i've, I've learned a lot it's been very helpful i appreciate the kind words and i'm i'm working on you know i'm, I'm continuing to add more iterations to it as well so you know i know andrew talked on the the budget schedule um, that I just rolled out too, but I think it's 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 really important just to stick with the meat and bones of what it is now. It's I mean, it's like budgeting is just you know it's it's all about a mindset. It's like the people that view a budget as a hassle or too time consuming, it might actually be too 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 time consuming. But chances are, it's probably just the mindset. They don't want to look at their finances, finances. They don't care what their spending habits are. And 
you know, the sad thing is by the time they actually get to the point in life where they're really, really focused on their finances, you know, they're, they could be years down the road where they've lost all those valuable years of, of compound interest. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I'd like to thank Andy for taking time out of his day to come talk to us. That was very valuable and uh, it was great. And I totally agree with him. If you do not track things, you will not see progress. And that's a great way to keep track of how you're doing with things, whether it's finance, like we focused on today, whether it's weight, whether it's anything you want to do. Uh, the spreadsheet guys are right. It, it definitely is very helpful. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.